The scripture today is uh, 1 John 2, 18 through 25. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. All right, we got two updates I wanted to give you guys uh, before I asked uh, Aaron to come up here. Uh, Tommy is touring Germany with his band, right? Sounds, a lot, like, sounds like a lot of fun, so uh, he leaves us here. And um, yeah, keep him in your prayers, right? Traveling Germany. And uh, second update is we have the distinct honor today to welcome Aaron Ross, right? Good friend of Watermarks. He's, he's been here before. Uh, this time next year, we'll be calling him Dr. Ross, so that's pretty cool. So open your hearts and minds to receive the word today, and join me in welcoming Aaron Ross. Um, hey, I'm glad to be here. It's been, I think, about a year since I was last here preaching. I, I lost track of time. It's still COVID, right, that whole thing. Um, Probably you heard this verse and were like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> we're really going to talk about this, um, which are usually my favorite ones to talk about are the ones that were like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. So, uh, and it's also great when I get to do it at a church that's not my church, <laughs> because I can leave it up to him to deal with it. Him and Tommy get to fix everything that I'm going to mess up for you. So, um, a little bit about me for those who are newer to Watermark, uh, who I haven't met. Uh, my wife and I, we just moved to Ohio uh, a year and a half ago, which is a very odd move from Florida to Ohio. Um, everyone I've met in Ohio is like, why? Right? And I said, well, you've never been to Florida, clearly. Um, but we just uh, welcomed our son into the world about six months ago. So, yeah, he's great. Uh, I'm ready to be home. I mean, I'm glad to be with you, but I'm ready to be home. Those with kids, I'm guessing you understand that, or maybe you don't. You're like, no, no, I'm okay. <laughs> I'll take a day off. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to be here. I've been uh, a professor of theology for a long time. Uh, I have a new distinct role at the university I'm at now, but I still get to teach at some universities um, in theology. And when Tommy asked me, you know, would I be willing to come down and preach, I was like, of course, of course I'll come down. And I started thinking about, okay, what is it that I feel... I'm led to, to speak about, and if, if you're like me, um, I grew up in a very Pentecostal tradition. Uh, I grew up in a tradition called the Church of God, eventually was a part of the Assemblies of God, and we had this like very distinct thing to love talking about the end of the world. <laughs> like, we wanted to talk about, okay, when is Jesus going to come back, and then what, all the things that are going to happen, and then we really like to talk about this Antichrist. Who is he going to be, 
and how do we know when he's here, right? Like we were constantly like looking around and kind of pointing fingers and going, is this the one, is this the one, is this the one? And, you know, as a kid, there was a lot of anxiety and trauma that actually came from like this constant talking about as a kid how the world's going to end and it's all going to go up in flames and there's this thing called the Antichrist who wants to eat your soul, right? Like, so for me, especially as I've kind of grown up and, and have gone through some degrees and, and gotten the pleasure and the privilege to really kind of study some of this stuff, it's become healing for me to kind of go back to some of these same texts and go, wait a second, that's not really what it was saying at all. It's actually trying to say something that's really important to us now versus telling us about what we should look out for later. So today we're going to talk about the Antichrist, which is such a strange thing to say in church still to me. <laughs> Yay, not Jesus, the Antichrist. Um, but we're going to talk about what John is doing and, and, and why this passage is really important to us. So let's pray and then we'll just dive right in, right? Father, we thank you for a time to get together today, to be in communion and community and to actually spend time pondering you, pondering what you've said to us, and how we can use these things to better build your kingdom here on this earth. We love you and we thank you. Amen. All right, so um, First John, it's, it's a really tough letter, and, and actually, I'm really bad at, at uh, drawing. Um, for those who have had me preach before, you've, you've seen that as bad as Tommy is, I'm worse. So I did not do slides. But if you actually want to leave the, the verses up there, because we'll kind of go through them and just talk about some of the uniquenesses of the verses. But 1 John is a really tough letter to deal with because it doesn't function like letters should. If you read 1 John, you'll notice that there's no like introduction, like a, a typical introduction and greeting. It's not like, hey, I'm John, and hey, I'm writing to you, these people, and here's what I'm writing about. In fact, most of the New Testament letters are written in that function. It's like, hey, this is Paul, and I'm writing to the church in Galatia. Or, hey, this is, um, yeah, Paul writing to the letter in Philippi, right? Like, these letters typically say, here's who it is, and here's who we're writing to. When we get to 1 John, we actually don't know that at all. The author doesn't say who he is, and he doesn't tell us who the readers are going to be. Church tradition might say that it's actually John because the language of the letter looks similar to the language of the Gospel of John. So we do this kind of thing where we actually look at the Greek language, the kind of words that are used, the structure. It's as if like you were to write letters to two different people and not put your name on them, but you can kind of look at them together and say, this, this person's probably the same person. They probably wrote in the same way. So we say that it's probably John, and we actually say that it's probably to this church in Ephesus. And Ephesus actually gets a lot of attention. Uh, there's already, Paul is uh, writing, he, wrote, he writes a letter specifically to the church at Ephesus called Ephesians. And in fact, in Revelation, the churches there, we do have another church of Ephesus that's actually being written to. Ephesus tends to have, it seems to be a lot of problems, and they write to this church a lot. It was a big center for the, the Roman world, and so a lot of money and a lot of goods flowed through Ephesus. So there was always a lot of different ideas that came into Ephesus that somehow got engaged with in the church. But beyond that, this is a, a distinct letter altogether. So if you go back and you read First John, you'll notice it doesn't function, again, like normal letters, and that it's not like, here's my point A, and here's my point C, and here's how we're going to get from point A to point C. 
He doesn't write like that at all. In fact, he actually kind of does this weird circular kind of writing where he talks about all of these um, paradoxes, light and darkness, following in the, in the commands of, of Jesus and sinning, being, being someone of Christ or being the antichrist. Like he talks in these paradoxes and he goes at love and hate is a big one too, right? He kind of goes back and forth. He'll talk about following the commands of Jesus, loving and hating, and then he'll talk about the Antichrist. And then he'll go back and talk about following the commands of Jesus, loving and hating, and then talking about the Antichrist again. And so we get this distinct letter that because it's difficult to read, we often don't know what to do with this Antichrist figure. America, you know, to make it kind of more modern day, I, I started thinking about, okay, where did this come from? Why do we look... If I grew up in this tradition that like really wanted me to focus on here's who this person's going to be, where did that come from, right? And a few years ago, Robert Fuller, he's a professor, he uh, wrote this whole book on basically the American obsession of determining who the Antichrist is. It doesn't surprise me that it's us as Americans who are obsessed with this, right? Like it's not really common anywhere else in Christendom, it's really us. And you start going back in history and not even, not even far history, you start seeing how many people we've called the Antichrist. 37%, this blew my mind, 37% of Americans thought Obama was the Antichrist. Like a legit, not like a maybe he is, maybe he isn't, 37% like, nah, he definitely is. Right? Trump, Antichrist. Obama, Antichrist. Tommy, Probably. Right? It, it doesn't matter who it is. We, we, we typically do it with like leaders, right? Like presidents really starting with, with FDR. He's like kind of the first one to really be called the Antichrist. But then we start going back in history and you'll notice that it happens. Well, I was going to say after this, you might even think I am. That's okay. Um, who will actually get there? Maybe I am. Um, when we start going back in history, we recognize that, again, this is a more modern perception, that we want to, like, use this term and try to figure out a figure. And so I started kind of going back, and if we kind of go back chronologically, we're actually going to jump all the way back to this, this saint, St. Augustine. You've probably, being around Watermark, have heard his name probably at some point, right? St. Augustine, who was a, a bishop and a theologian in the 4th and 3rd centuries, um, he was one of the first to really kind of state, not the first, he was probably one of the, the, the kind of pivotal moments, that's what we say it, pivotal moments from going a nondescript idea of Antichrist to the Antichrist, to a specific one, one that's going to be there. Now you might be going, if you grew up in the church at all, you might be going, Revelation, right, Antichrist. Well, surprise, it's not in Revelation. Like you, you can't find this term Antichrist there. It really is only found in a couple of John's letters. So Augustine really kind of actually turned it around from something else to a singular person. And Augustine kind of used this idea as a way to say that we're actually looking or we, we should be on watch for this one person. Um, but you go back a little bit, and there is another kind of lesser-known church, uh, church father named Hippolytus, which is a terrible name. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, I feel bad for him still. But Hippolytus, he's not the last one either. That's got a bad one. Um, he actually, in determining, trying to like, okay, what is the Antichrist going to look like? 
Well, he actually, in the third, well, second, really, second century, started saying that whatever the Antichrist, whether it's a group or a person, whatever it's going to be, they're definitely going to be Jews. And, and in reality, even, even that close to Jesus, there had become this rise of anti-Semitism, even in the early church, because there was this perception that the Jews killed Jesus. They're the problem. So Hippolytus already was trying to struggle with, okay, if there's an antichrist, well, it's probably something coming from the group of people who actually killed the Christ. I guess you might understand that logic, but it's still kind of warped, right? We go back a little bit further, and, and there's others like a guy named Tertullian. Um, he's actually around the same time, early third century. And Tertullian tried to kind of counterplay him and Cyprian and Irenaeus really kind of well-known church fathers, they try to make this interplay. Well, maybe it's not just a person. Maybe it's a group and a person. Maybe it's, maybe it's a bunch of people, and then, but they're still going to be the one. But what I found the most fascinating was there was a guy named Polycarp. Again, I told you, not the worst name, Polycarp. Um, Polycarp actually, from church history, studied with John was a disciple of John. And Polycarp, actually, when he was reflecting even on John's writings and teachings, Polycarp never once said that whatever John was talking about was a single person. Polycarp actually said that whatever the Antichrist thing is, it is a group of people. And even more than a group of people, it's an idea. And Polycarp in his day said that the people who are the Antichrist, because he still said there are some people who are the Antichrist, he called this group called the Doceticists. And the Doceticists were a really unique, interesting kind of like break off from, from the Christian world, from, the Christian, from Christianity. I mean, you can't really say Orthodox because really it was before we had really a good set Orthodox creed, like the Nicene Creed, which would come a couple hundred years later. But the Doceticists believed this one weird thing about Jesus, and, and it's now since been called a heresy, and it's one of our kind of ancient heresies about who Jesus is. And the Doceticists believed that Jesus was God, but they only believed that he appeared to be human. So it's kind of like being a, a kind of, I don't know, ghost, Right? where Jesus looked like he was human, but he actually wasn't human at all. He didn't have any physicalness to him. He didn't have a body, he, not a real body anyways. He was something else. So they believed he was fully God, but they didn't believe he was fully human. And Polycarp said, that is being antichrist. And there's a really unique reason why Polycarp would say that was being antichrist, which we'll actually talk about why that might work in what John's saying. But I feel bad sometimes. Sometimes I like to play devil's advocate, even like I don't like to point the finger and be like, you're all just the worst, you doceticist, get out of here. But they had a real reason for it. They really struggled with how do we talk about Jesus as being fully God and fully human when they actually believed that all this human stuff, the flesh, the world, anything that we talk about as physical was evil. So Jesus can't be that because Jesus isn't evil. So the Doceticists were like, well, we're just going to make it this way. Jesus was fully God, but not fully human, because then he doesn't have to actually engage with this evil stuff. Now, the Doceticists were wrong. It was a bad reading to say that physical matter and everything was evil or bad, but 
all that to say, Polycarp said, because of that idea, I can call them antichrist because they're, they're actually against Christ. So, so that's our history, right? Like we see that like as we go back in history, it becomes less and less specific and more kind of group-wise, right? It's not a person, it's a group. It's an idea, it's a way of being. So let's get into, into John, right? Um, it's hard to talk about John kind of jumping right into, into chapter two. And I even told Leo, I was like, when I first was like, yeah, I'm gonna talk about this. Yeah, some hours in, I was like, why did I say I was gonna talk about that? <laughs> like, can I go back, can I change now, right? Because it's really hard to like just dive into the middle of this letter and really start to talk about what's going on. Because really, by the time we get to this statement on the Antichrist, or an Antichrist, or what he later is gonna say in John chapter four, the spirit of Antichrist, He's already kind of talked to his community, the people who are supposed to read it, most likely a cyclical letter. That's why it doesn't say it's to Ephesus church. Most likely it's a letter that was meant to be sent out. Everyone needs to hear this message, right? And by the time we get to to John chapter two, verse 18, he's already talked about some of those other paradoxes that I've told you about. He's already told his readers in chapter one to walk in the light. Walk in the light, which for John, and that is John, uh, 1 John 1, 7, he makes really clear in 1 John 2, 3, when he says walk in the light, what he means by that is follow the commands of Jesus. Follow what Jesus is saying. Look, I'm writing to you to kind of let you know you need to continue to walk in the light and to follow the words of Jesus. In fact, in, in 2, 6, he even gets farther and he says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to be a part of this Christianity thing must live the way that Jesus did. This is what he's building up to when he gets to this passage. But still further, before he even gets to the Antichrist, he actually talks about love and hate. And in verses 9 and 10, he really starts getting into this idea, probably you've heard it before, this idea that you can't follow Jesus and hate your brother or sister. Only those who love their brother and sister can actually claim to be a follower of Jesus because anyone who doesn't, the light is not in them. They don't walk in the commands of Christ. This is where we pick up this passage. There's actually this really beautiful kind of like poem thing between the two, but we don't have time. But in verse 18, we actually get to this point here. And we start with, now that we've talked about walking in the commands of Jesus, now that we talk about loving our our brothers and our sisters, not being able to hate. Now we're going to talk about this thing called the Antichrist, which they've apparently heard about, right? So starting off, we can just kind of go through the first verse. So if you have your Bibles and want to walk through these verse by verse with me, we'll start with this. It says, dear children, in verse 18, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now, that verse alone makes my Pentecostal anxiety go through the roof, right? Like, I'm already like, oh, crap. Like, we're there, and he's probably among us. He's maybe the person sitting next to you. I don't know. We haven't determined, right? But that's really nothing at all what what John is saying. In fact, one of the first things, before we can even talk about the Antichrist, we have to talk about what does it mean to say the last hour? 
Because that's part of my anxiety, right? Is that the last hour is this idea of like, this is it. Like today is it. But what John is actually referring to is this kind of ancient way within the church to talk about the last hour was the time in which God was at work within the world, finishing what he had started. That God was actually here and now working things out to to completion. It didn't have anything to do with a specific time frame. The last hour wasn't like, it's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. And it wasn't going to be, it's going to be eternity. It wasn't a chronological statement. It was the recognition that what is happening in the world today, God is at work in completing what he started. This is the last hour. The last hour for the apostles is really understood. If we go back to Acts, and I know Watermark has gone through the book of Acts, um, but we go back to Acts chapter 2, this idea that Jesus has now left and the Spirit has come on the church, this was the last hour because the Spirit is now at work with the church in completing the work of God. It's a beautiful statement when we actually know what it means, and it's not quite as scary. It's something that actually goes, I love this. We're in this moment that we can say that God is at work in and among us in the completion of what he set out to do, right? And so John starts kind of in this way where he says, hey, we are in this last hour God is at work with us, and we need to think about what is happening. And so the second term really in there is this idea of saying this, as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. So what is this Antichrist? Let's finally get into what I've been talking about for 20 minutes and haven't actually said, right? What is this Antichrist? Well, John's going to make it more fully understood to us as we kind of keep going down the path, but the really interesting part of this is he's writing this letter, whatever the Antichrist or these Antichrists are, he's not saying they're in your church. He's saying you've heard it. You've heard this is happening. He's trying to warn them up front, there is something that you do need to pay attention to. There is something that you do need to look out for. Because they have come. You might have heard that, there is, that, there, that it is coming, the Antichrist is coming, but I'm telling you actually they're already here. That's a big difference. You might have heard that it's coming, but I'm telling you many have already come. So whatever this Antichrist thing is, even just according to John, it's not a singular person coming in the future to usher in the destruction of the world. It's something else. It's something that is in this last hour, in this moment in which God is at work within the world completing what God has set out to do. There is this thing called the Antichrist, or again, what I like more clear in John chapter 4, the spirit of the Antichrist, which is resisting the work of God within the world today. That's what it is. Something resisting the work of God here and now. It's literally Antichrist. And we'll... That phrase, Antichrist, even if we break it down in the Greek, John is again a little unclear. If it's John writing this, he's a little unclear. Because this kind of phrase of Antichristos, we get all Greek and stuff. It can mean one of two things. When we use this word anti, it can mean one of two things. First, it can mean someone who takes the place of Christ. It can mean something that takes the place of Christ. Or most likely what John is doing is he's actually talking about just someone who is opposed to Christ. A person, an idea, a thing, a means, a way of living 
that is opposed to who Christ is. That's what has already shown up. There's already those, and you've heard about it, and I'm telling you they're here. What's, what's really fascinating, we're going to jump into verse 19, is he makes this shift. He goes from saying, you've heard this, and I'm telling you they're already here, and he starts to make it personal. The writer makes this next verse quite personal. He says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So no longer is he talking to them about their church. He's saying, hey, this was something that happened within my own community, my own group, Right? They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. We might all kind of, me, I'm just preaching to myself now. I grew up with this recognition that it was this thing, right? Like maybe a king or a Caesar or a president or a pope or whoever had a position of power that might try to make the one world order and destroy us all. But... John is actually saying, hey, what, what this Antichrist thing is actually started in this group. They were with us. They had heard the things that we had heard. They had seen the things that we had seen, and yet they came from us. That, that is where maybe we start to get a little troubled. Because it wasn't about something out there. It was actually something about right here that he's talking to this group about. But if we keep going on, we're, we're going to kind of recognize a few more things, and I, and I want to make sure that we're clear here. So we're going to kind of move on a little bit quicker. He says in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do, not, you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So if we've got this thing kind of opposed to Christ on one side, that actually somehow has come from the group that John is in, the community that John was a part of, he gives the, again, the antithesis to the Antichrist, the truth. This is another really difficult word for us in the 21st century to understand because for so many of us, the truth is this idea. It's this having the right, perfect belief, then you know the truth. But that's a really modern perception of what this word truth is and something that would have been a little bit distinct from what John would have used when he talks about the truth. Because John talks about the truth, he talks about a person, not an idea. Jesus is the truth. The person of Jesus is the truth. And how you know the truth is this one way. You've experienced that truth for yourself. And in that experience, you got to know the truth. It was all wrapped up together. It wasn't someone who was saying, hey, let me tell you the truth and I'm going to set out to you a good logic statement and I'm going to say, if this, then this, so therefore, this is the truth. For John, that's not what truth is. For John, truth is the person of Christ, the person of Jesus, and the community he he tells them, you know this truth, and that knowledge isn't a head knowledge, it's an experiential knowledge. It's a holistic knowledge. You've experienced the work of Christ. You've experienced this idea of the Holy One. The Holy One has given you this truth. You know who Christ is because you've experienced Christ and you know the things taught about him. You know how you've experienced him. You know the work in which God is doing within the world through both Christ and now you. Does that make sense? I ask that a lot when I'm teaching. It's really hard in a church to be like, does that make sense? (laughs) 
I feel like, you know, if someone's watching Dora the Explorer, you know, where on the map? And the people online are like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Um, so this truth is really kind of two things. It is what they've heard, but it's also what they've experienced. And the idea of this Antichrist is opposed to that truth. What is it that is keeping this community together? It's the experience of Christ and the knowledge that comes with that experience. So then he goes on in verse 22 to really talk further about what this thing of Antichrist is, right? He keeps going back and forth, back and forth. He says in verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what does this mean when we actually talk about someone who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Polycarp was definitely right. In some sense, when Polycarp kind of pointed out to the doceticists and he said that the doceticists, that this group that said that Jesus wasn't fully human, they were enacting the spirit of Antichrist. Because that's not who Christ was. It was something, an idea opposed to the person of Christ. But you can maybe see what I'm starting to get at now. What John is trying to talk about when he's talking about the Antichrist, he's not talking about a person, he's talking about a thing that can happen at any time and any moment. And this is what he's warning the church about. Anyone or anything opposed to Christ is the Antichrist. And what are some of those things that are Antichrist? Well, he had just led up to it. Again, this is where it was like, it's hard to jump right in the middle, but I'll explain it again, right? This is why he, before he got up to this point, talked about walking in the commands of Christ, being in the light, loving your brother and sister, not hating your brother and sister, following the commands of Christ, loving your brother and sister. This is how you know the truth. You've experienced it, and now you've enacted it. Anyone who goes beyond this, anyone who denies that reality or who does something opposed to that reality, that person is the Antichrist. And the reason why I like the first John 4 clarification is because I don't like to even say they are an Antichrist as much as what John gets to in chapter 4 when he says it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's living out a reality that is opposed to Christ versus a, a reality that is actually engaging with Christ and fulfilling the mission of God, which he calls the last hour. Are you partnering with God here and now in this last hour, or are you doing things and acting in ways that is opposed to what Christ is doing? The reason why I think this is such an important passage to go through is that we love personification of the Antichrist. And we love it primarily because if I can point out who it is, I can say, at least I'm not that. If the Antichrist is Obama, my hands are clean. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that I have to worry about because I'm not the Antichrist and I don't follow that guy. Right? But that's nothing of what John's doing. John's not trying to encourage his people to look for a person who is the Antichrist. In so many ways, John's encouraging his community to go, where has the spirit of Antichrist been found in you? Where is it among you? 
And the reality is for John, that question about where is it among you isn't about this thing that sometimes we do in churches where we like to go uh, headhunting. It's not about finding the person next to us and going, Anna, you're it, right? Because again, we try to personify. We try to make it something other outside of us. And we, as long as it's something else, then I'm okay. But what John is trying to encourage his community is to reflect on where have you enacted the spirit of Antichrist? Because it's not a person, it's a spirit. It's actually this reality in which we ourselves engage in ways as opposed to the building of the kingdom of God here and now. And he gives us some of those specifics in this very short but really dense letter. Things like loving your brother and your sister and following the commands of Christ. All throughout the New Testament, we see the same kind of vein happening, right? James tells his readers, his listeners, he said, religion that is true is this, taking care of the poor and the widow. That's what's true. Paul talks about it all the time in taking care of those who need to be taken care of, but he also gives us another sense of it. This is something that we do with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells his, his readers in the church of, of Galatia, one of my favorite passages in, in, of Paul at all, is he actually says this thing, live life by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not engage in ways that is antichrist. You won't. Living life by the Spirit. John has this really robust in his gospel what we would call a pneumatology, a theology of the spirit, even says things, Jesus says things crazy in the book of John that sometimes we struggle with, where in the gospel of John, Jesus says this thing, I'm leaving, but there's something greater coming. I'm gonna send you something even greater than I. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. We don't like it. It's really hard to deal with this greater word, quantity, quality, what do we mean there? Again, Tommy, Leo, you guys got it, Right? But there's this reality of, of this thing that what John is kind of doing is culminating something that they already know to be true. Are we enacting the ways of Christ or are we doing things in the spirit of Antichrist? Now, when I said at the beginning, like, it's really tough because my Pentecostal anxiety like really like pushed forward to look like who is the person I'm scared about the end of the world it's even worse when you're like a, you know a 10 year old that someone's like Jesus come back today and I'm like but I really want to go to the playground right like hold off a little bit like I would love to drive a car someday it seems fun right uh, little did I know um, like like my anxiety, I, I don't want to say it's shifted, but, but something different has happened now in reading John and understanding what John's doing is it's not anxiety as, as it's much a responsibility in thinking about where have I enacted the spirit of Antichrist? Where is it in me? Where is it in my own life that I'm opposed to the things of Christ even when I am unsure of what it is? That's where the message becomes really tough. And that's why the readers or the listeners of 1 John wouldn't have necessarily loved what John was saying immediately because he's pointing back to them. Who are these people? What is this spirit? What is this thing that you heard is coming but actually is already here? It's those who listen, who know the person of Christ and yet 
live in a reality that's against Christ. And, and I say that's a struggle for me because then all of a sudden, like, now I'm like, okay, what do I do? Because I know myself and I know that I have the ability to always choose myself first. Like, it's my first inclination, me over others, right? What I want over what God asks for. It's the constant struggle, I think, of all of us who want to follow Christ is that we often choose ourselves over the other. And so when we talk about, like, how do we think about this as, as an important reality for a community like Watermark, I look back to what we just did before I started in this moment of communion. This moment of getting together and coming together at the table of Christ to yet again accept the grace of Christ in community together. The Antichrist thing that we've been talking about, the spirit of Antichrist, isn't like a a deathbed nail in the coffin thing for you, right? Like, you chose yourself, going to hell. That's not what this is either, right? It's this admonition to say, are we we self-reflective? Are we as a community coming together and actually finding out ways in which that we have not been like Christ Do I have people around me who I trust, who I know are God-loving and God-fearing people who can speak into my own life whenever I am enacting things that are opposed to Christ? It's a beautiful message because it reminds us again that this is a thing that we don't do alone. It's also a thing that isn't final today. I mean, if I were done today, things have gone wrong, right? There's a reason why the early Christians, they didn't call Christianity Christianity, right? That became, that came something later. It really was an insult from Roman people because Christian means little Christ. Little did they know we were like, yes, you got it. That's, that's right. But there's a reason why early, this early community called themselves the way or why Paul talks about it as running a race, Because we all are going to have times in which we engage in things that are anti-Christ. And there are always going to be times that we get to come back to the table once again for that grace and that community and that being with Christ and that forgiveness. But when we think about this idea, it helps us to recognize that how important it is to be self-reflective, to be self-critical, Not critical in the bad way, but you know what I mean, right? Actually, like, thinking about ourselves within a real way, going, where is it that I have gone astray? With that beautiful second part of the paradox that it doesn't matter how bad I've been, I still can have grace. It doesn't matter how much I've done something that has been in the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of God is still with me today as we move and work in a way to get, to keep being with God in this last hour. John is beautiful because of how he has explained this idea to us. And I think once we kind of move past this personification, this one thing, this thing that I can kind of put out there, and at least I'm not that, I start to recognize how beautiful this grace of God really is. That even though I have this tendency. God's grace is sufficient.
right? But I also want to know where is it that I've gone astray? I want a community around me that helps me recognize where is it that I'm going astray? I want a community around me that is purposed in living out these commands of God, that walking in the way of Christ. I need that because I can't do it myself. And I need people around me who can point out when I've done it wrong. I, I think there's nothing more important for us as a group of Christians than to actually be reflective of who we are as Christians. It's easy for us to point the finger at other people. It's much harder for us to reflect where we need work. I said this to a friend yesterday. I said, you know, it's really easy to be a Christian and not follow Jesus, but it's really hard to follow Jesus and be a Christian. Because following the commands of Christ is always harder than just saying, I believe the right things about Christ. So much harder. And that's where we need this community together. We need to be in this community to actually engage with who God is in this last hour and how we can actually be with Christ, experiencing Christ, showing Christ to the world and reflecting where we may have gone astray. I think now I'm going to pray. Seems like a good time, right? And I think Leo will come do the Lord's Prayer. But I wanted to say about the Lord's Prayer, it's such a beautiful communal prayer because it does that very thing. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who've sinned against us. Help us focus on the right things always, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a time where even when it's not the most fun thing to hear, we are open to what you have to say to us today, God. And we want to be people who live in this truth, in this experiencing of you and helping other people see that too. We are so thankful that amidst everything that happens within our own lives, we know that we have grace from you as we keep working together in this last hour to complete the work that you've set out for us to complete. We can't say much more than we love you and we thank you and we are continuously saying we need your grace and we want to keep moving forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Aaron. That was beautiful. All right, let's get on our feet and let's uh, repeat after me the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great Sunday. Be blessed.